If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to Ben the Knee, a song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into a Storm of Swords Jamie chapter two. And we're also going to bring up some uh, possible Winds of Winter news. We'll say we'll put it into the suspect Winds of Winter news. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, first of all, this chapter, Jamie, I'm very excited for because it it's been a long time since we've been with Jamie. You know, we started and it's like. It's honestly, Jamie, one of A Storm of Storms is like, honestly, my favorite chapter in the entire series, just because, wow. yeah, it's up there, man, just because we hadn't been with this character for so long. And then A Storm of Swords starts and it's boom, right there. And you're just like, that to me is honestly the best, like George chapter, like writing, just because it's like, this is the chapter that shows that everything is like different and these are gray characters i love it so i love being back with jamie because here's this character who we've been told the entire time is a villain and now in this chapter it's going to be opening up a little bit more now that we're getting to those jamie and brianne chapters or brian as uh it's said in the audiobook Roy Detrice, <laughs> Roy Detrice with uh brian uh there in the audiobook today we're gonna be talking a little bit about ooh, killing the mad king was it as bad as we thought? So definitely kind of interesting there. Now we do have some wins of winter news. As you said, there's some this. So I have a piece and you have a piece and we're going to kind of bring them both up. The one I have was something that actually came out a couple of months ago. But remember, it was when I jacked my back up. So we didn't record as much. And it was kind of just an off the wall thing. So we're going to bring it up now because it could have a little more validity. So I'll toss it to you, Jimmy, first. Yeah, so uh, the, the Winds of Winter news I had, actually, uh, I saw it on another creator's channel, and he's in the community. It's The Dragon Demands, who does a lot of updates about behind-the-scenes stuff on House of the Dragon, and did a lot of breakdowns of why the show was going off the rails, you know, way before Season 8, which uh, I think we can look back and appreciate. But uh, he made a video saying why the Winds of Winter release date is 2024, and Gurm paused all other tie-in books. And I specifically wanted to call out the post from... Uh, Ilio, which I always struggle with that name, on the uh, Song of Ice and Fire uh, forums. And the post goes like this. That was the initial pitch we had for a book. And, and just so you know, they're talking about um, the who's who of Westeros, which is kind of like another world book that they're talking about doing and really highlighting a bunch of different characters. And someone kind of asked uh, Ilio and tagged him and said, hey, what's going on with that book? Like, when can we expect that printed or put into the world app? And his response was this. 
that was the initial pitch we had for a book when they wanted us to write something. But when HBO picking up House of the Dragon, the publisher pivoted to us doing Rise of the Dragon. This idea was that it would be an abridged, heavily illustrated character guide or something like that was the notion. But admittedly, 10 Speed Press had some reservations about that. Now, this is the big part. So what I can say is that it's certainly what we think we may end up working on next. Right now, because of various timelines, the winds of Winterhouse, the Dragon Season 2, it's a topic we'll be revisiting next year. Like if George gets the winds of winter out, the character guide might make more sense. Or if he also instead gets a second volume of Fire and Blood, maybe we'll just leap straight uh, into the follow-up to Rise of the Dragon. It would give us a much longer lead time to get together for art for the project, which is a huge pain point towards the end. So, you know, there, there's a lot going on there, and he's really talking mostly about his next project, where, of course, they helped with Rise of the Dragon and whatnot and, uh, and all that good stuff. But he's kind of saying that everything's been put on pause for the potential that in the next year, if George were to get Winds of Winter out or Fire and Blood too, which I kind of find interesting, because like George has never updated the blog saying that he's been working on Fire and Blood too, and I know that he gets help from that from his assistants. But really, the story here is the winds of winter, especially knowing how much progress George has made since 2020 on the books. You know, we think about and we estimated what 75, 85 percent of this book is probably finished. Yeah, so, it's gotta be. So the fact that all these side projects are kind of on pause waiting to see if something were to come out in the next year, because then they might have to rewrite some stuff or maybe the books would make more sense. They're kind of waiting for their next step from George. So it, what this really sounds like is that it's been put on hold because within the next year, either fire and blood two or winds of winter would be released. And I, I really don't think George has been working on fire and blood two based on his updates, uh, which he was pretty upfront about him working on fire and blood one, as we remember back in the day from his, not a blog and in various interviews, Matt, I think my, what is it? It's been five or six year prediction. Been saying it. November, 2024 was always my, my go-to date. And it's looking better and better every month. I, I like this. This is a, and we, you know, we don't, we don't want to say it's confirmed winds of winter news or anything like that, but it's certainly something to take note of. Cause this is someone that is in the circle that is, you know, working hand in hand with publishing stuff in the universe and is saying, Hey, we're putting this on pause because we need to see which way we're going to be going because the who's who guide might be the way to go. Um, you know, uh, if winds of winter were to come out. So it certainly isn't any sort of confirmation or anything, but just another nudge into a more positive direction for the winds of winter's future, uh, especially with all the updates that we had been getting from George and in his recent uh, blog, you know, he did say that this was, I'll be working on winds of winter and the writing strike doesn't affect that. And he's not doing any writing on house of the dragon or any of those other shows. So I, Matt, I'm feeling a little tingle. I like, I'm with you because yeah, I this might be the rare instance where the writer strike helps. You know, we talked about this last the last two weeks. Is the writer strike going to help George or hurt George? Because <laughs> is he going to have to pick up some of the slack that these writers aren't doing for a Night of the Seven Kingdoms? Because just because the writers are on strike doesn't mean that showrunners and other people aren't going to have to you know keep writing it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know we we talked about. You know, winds of winter, how much closer is he getting? All he keeps saying is that he's, you know, he's he's working on it. There was that other show that he had that got that 
uh, he pitched, I think, to Peacock or something like wild cards or you know, yeah, wild cards others. and did not. And they they said no. So okay, well, no, he's not. He doesn't have to his time get picked up over there. You know, it just feels closer every time we get an update. And I said this before 2020 for a long time. If you go back and you read all of his updates, it was always this like, "Woe is me." Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And then COVID hit and he like locked himself away in his cave or, you know, his mountain, as he says, like a cabin in the woods out there. And he started writing and suddenly every time he talks about wins, he feels way more optimistic. So, I mean, it's obvious just in his writing that he's he 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 is much closer. Now, this yeah. was this was go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And, you know, we were getting like specific information, like I'm wrapping up the last chapters for this and that and. I'm done with two more POVs and yada, yada, yada. So uh, real progress and all projects being held for a possible Winds of Winter or Fire and Blood 2 release. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty optimistic right now. Well, this is kind of this is kind of the other interesting piece. And this came out a couple uh, weeks ago, I guess. But we, ne- we didn't uh, talk about it. And it was some artwork, right, that came out. And this is a potential Winds of Winter cover art now the interesting thing here is that the artist who created it um is a guy whose name i'm definitely going uh to butcher i think it's eric altona altonos something like that anyway and he has done some official artwork in like the rise of the dragon book which is you know the basically world of ice and fire version of house of the dragon so this artwork here is art that he did and it it could just be fan art there's nothing specific you know about it but it's just interesting that here's somebody who has worked with george in some official capacity before or you know elia and linda the people who make the a lot of the artwork and they run the wiki and stuff like that too um i mean clearly he's worked with some capacity he's working obviously with them if they're taking some of his official his work and it's officially going into books that's being sold and here he is creating what he thinks could be a cover right that doesn't mean it, it is going to be the cover doesn't mean it's not but it did make some waves uh, a couple a couple weeks ago yeah and you just start piecing these little things together and you know and, and maybe this is just a harmless uh dream for this artist right like oh, i hope it looks great to me cover looks fantastic um and for those who are listening i didn't know this until like last year but the famous winds of winter cover with the horn on it is actually just a fan art that someone uploaded to the wiki so if you've ever seen the horn of winter cover it's not real uh george has even used it but it's not the real cover it's just a stand-in it's kind of funny i mean it's almost it's famous at this point it might be the most famous cover of all the books yeah it might be to be honest we, uh, yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of covers to the books there's a lot of different versions i think the ones that most people recognize are the sort of mass media prints although now they don't even print those i don't think they print those those covers anymore because now they're all they all are like the hbo ones right so i think it's like yeah. a dance with dragons the you know the original one is the white book that looks like that, you know, the green uh, storm of swords and like the orange mm-hmm. clash of King or yellow clash of Kings and the, the blue, like the very, the blue with the dagger game of Thrones book. But now they're all changed to the HBO ones because they, you know, now that they want, they want that big, that big tag on it. So this oh. looks like it would fit. Or if you're a psychopath like me, you have the subterranean press editions, uh, which right. costs more in my car. 
but I'm glad I have them. <laughs> have you ever have you ever have you ever found any of the really old ones? Because there's a lot of older <laughs> versions with the old. I mean, my suppressed Game of Thrones editions from 2000, maybe. Yeah. And it's signed by George and numbered and lettered. And uh, I also have a first edition uh, Storm of Swords hardback. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Clash of Kings original cover, but it is really cool. The yeah, the ones with like the old people on it are pretty, are pretty cool. Yeah. Like it looks like, yeah, I'm going to reference something here. They kind of reminds me of some of the Wheel of Time covers. Oh, I know. Why, I just, why you got to do that I just, to me? I just, I just ruined the moment. I, I was all in and then <clears throat> now I'm out. Like this, like this Clash of Kings here. I'll get it pulled up here. This like yellow and red. Yeah, it's yellow, red, and it looks like Cersei is there, and then maybe, maybe it's supposed to be Joffrey on the throne. Uh, it, I'm not saying it's it's necessarily <laughs> perfect, but I really like those original covers. And for the folks who have not seen the uh, foreign covers, I also implore you to go check out some of those. The German. Ones oh my God, some of those are crazy. Some of the some of those have like such. Are you? Oh, you're telling me that this doesn't remind. I, you know, you read a lot more fantasy books than I do, but you're telling me that doesn't this doesn't remind you of some of the Wheel of Time books. Oh no! Yeah, the covers. Yeah, it's that pulp yeah. fantasy look that I absolutely right. adore. Like I couldn't love it anymore. Um, I I wish that fantasy. No, that's books... that's that's Melisandre and Stannis. Oh, that is. It's Melisandre and Stannis. And, and then I assume the person Davos named... is that supposed to be Davos? I could see it being Davos. Yeah, it doesn't. I can't count that. his fingers. <laughs> Yeah. Or I, I should say, can't see how long his fingers are, but he is wearing gloves, which Davos wears. Um, I, yeah, I don't so know. Cool. I like the old fantasy pulp covers, and I wish that books nowadays, especially fantasy and sci-fi books, would lean back into their origins and quit putting out these stupid, like, lit fit covers with just the author name. I hate that. It drives yeah. me crazy, dude. Yeah, I, I do like the I do like the old covers yeah. as well. So, all right. Well, with that, let's dive into today's chapter. So this is Jamie too. So Jamie, Brienne, and Cleos, right? It's like, man, there's a character you kind of forget about because we haven't been with them a while because, yeah. you know, we we did the Jamie chapter, then House of the Dragon News started, so we hadn't touched the reread in a couple, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks or months uh, to be it's even more fair. So Jamie, Brienne and Cleos stop at the inn at the, of the kneeling man to eat. The innkeep mentions the lightning Lord. And we learn that Lord Beric and Thoros are still together raiding in the riverlands. The innkeep recommends they abandon their skiff and ride for King's landing. Brienne buys the inn's horses for three gold and their skiff uh, getting robbed blind. According to Jamie. The husband of the innkeeper recommends that they follow a specific path to avoid outlaws and they ride off. Jamie is impressed that Brienne takes the opposite path, realizing that they might have been set up. That night, Jamie reminisces, reminisces of how he became a Kingsguard. His sister was brought to court by Tywin, who was hand at the time. He had hoped to wed her to Prince Viserys. Jamie was uh, squiring for Sumner Craycall and was knighted by Arthur Dane during the battle against the Kingswood Brotherhood. Cersei later informed him that their father meant to wed him to Liza Aaron, and she told him that if he took the White Cloak, they could be together in King's Landing. They did it behind their father's back, and Tywin could not object to King Aerys' wishes. That's not the only thing they did behind his back. 
Tywin Tywin then resigned his hand and took Cersei back to Casterly Rock, unknowingly ruining her plan because Jaime is now stuck in King's Landing as a sworn brother of the Kingsguard. Years later, when Eris made the mistake of admitting Tywin's army, the Mad King called for the former Hand's head. Alone in the throne room, Ares had one final plan, but Jaime arrived in his golden armor, the blood of Lord Rossart on his blade, and killed the king. Jamie had hoped to slip out unnoticed, but his father's men entered the throne room and they thought Jamie meant to give the throne to his father. But Jamie told them he didn't care who was proclaimed king. He was sitting on the Iron Throne to see who would come in and claim the kingdom. But it was Eddard Stark who found him there. Eddard said nothing, but he saw the blood of the king Jamie had sworn to protect on Jamie's hands. If only his father's men hadn't, fa- had, hadn't found him standing over Ares's body. Yeah, first-hand account of the Mad King's assassination. Um, wild stuff. And I, I applaud you, by the way, for getting through that entire description of the chapter as I was sitting here fighting my camera's autofocus. I saw it. I was like, what is Jimmy doing? <laughs> you, you, didn't break, you didn't break it at all. So congrats. Uh, yeah, I got this new camera. Yeah. I'm trying to figure I turned around to get my book to read yeah. along and well you see here's the yeah it's because jimmy has this picture of this amazing for those of you guys who only listen to the podcast and don't check out any of our videos over on youtube jimmy has this amazing picture of robert baratheon king robert baratheon yeah (laughs) uh that's you know right over your shoulder and i'm sure your new camera is like oh that's a face let me detect that and and it it uh but apparently he looks more human than i do probably because he doesn't wear glasses and i do didn't um, didn't you realize the second the second that we started talking about game of you know we dive into the chapter and it's like all right now it's time to dive into it's robert baratheon's the star of the show here that's right that <laughs> <laughs> i heard they're talking about the king of westeros god damn it yeah um there yeah so aries firsthand account though this is crazy i mean this is like a major 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 moment that we don't really see in the show ever uh so it's seeing it from jamie's perspective for the first time and then seeing what he thought in that moment as well, whenever they said, basically, Craig Hall says, like, are you taking the throne? Mm-hmm. And Jamie, Jamie, uh, his internal thoughts, he considers it. Yeah. Uh, Shall I proclaim a new king as, uh, king as well? Craig Hall asked. And Jamie read the question plain. Shall I be your father or Robert Brathian? Or do you mean to try to make a new dragon king? He thought for a moment of the boy Viserys fled the dragon son and Rhaegar's infant son Aegon still in Magor's, uh, Magor's with his mother. A new Targaryen king in my father's hand. How the wolves will howl and the storm lord choke with rage. Yeah. Very interesting. And then eventually he just says, eh, I don't really care. Yeah. Do it. Do what you will. Yeah. So yeah, this chapter has a this chapter has a lot going on in it um, sure because we get a little bit. This is really you know the where we get, we get a lot of insight on Jamie. To be honest, we get his relationship with Cersei and see yes. you know almost really Cersei is the one manipulating him here in this you know in in this whole deal and she's the one who's like you should become a Kingsguard member that way we can be together and then her plan didn't even work. Yeah, yeah, it it, it, it totally to- back to the rock. Yeah, it it, to- it totally it totally backfires on her. So, go ahead. Oh, I'd say this kind of shows that Cersei is smart in some cases, but doesn't account for all of. I think she thinks in best case scenario a lot of the times. Um, so she's not the master schemer that she thinks she is, unfortunately. 
yeah no she's not so we do get some other mentions in here too like some other cool things but like thoris amir and things like that you know the chapter starts i want to pull this up from the reread reddit because it's a very good breakdown of this chapter so this person says and i love any i love all of these things that are like from years ago so i always try to go back and find like the first reread of some of these things because they're before they were you know influenced by the show so um you know this uh says the chapter starts with uh, an inn which has changed hands during the war and a youth with a crossbow readers will be reminded of the chapter in a feast for crows with a similar inn and a similar crossbow here in jamie's pov the youth is a boy and pre and brianne's pov uh, the youth will be a girl and the menace which is only insinuated in, in a storm of swords will be the stuff of nightmares you know the, the the totally not an innkeeper is full of information and advice. You know, he says, you know, not 30 miles from here, a couple of boats burned and sank and the channels been um, sl- splitting up around them. There's a nest of outlaws there preying on anyone who comes by and more of the same down river around the skipping stones and red deer Island. And the lightning Lord's been seen there in parts as well. He crosses the river wherever he likes riding this way and that way never still. He even mentions Thoros saying the red, the red wizard. I've heard he has strange powers. This is interesting because of a conversation between Bran and Maester Lewin back in the days when Winterfell had, you know, glass gardens. He says, I had a friend at the Citadel who could pull a rose out of your ear, but he was no more magical than I was. Oh, to be sure, there is much more we do not understand. The years pass and there are hundreds and there are thousands. And what does any man see of life but a few summers, a few winters? We look at mountains and call them eternal and they seem... But in the course of time, mountains rise and fall, rivers change their courses, stars fall from the sky, and great cities sink beneath the sea. Even gods die, we think. Everything changes. So rivers change their course, just as we hear about the inn of the kneeling man, and that non-magical friend finds a reflection in Thoros. So saying that Thoros may have actually known Maester Lewin when he was back at the Citadel. This is the crazy. This is like connections. I know. That's why I love going back to these old forums and things like that because it's only it's before the show, so people yeah. are like, we're, we're even more you know into the books, and it's one you know one of the things I love. So uh, it goes on just a little bit here, saying so. Uh, there's a non uh, and and that non magical friend finds a reflection in Thoros. Right, Jamie had once heard Thoros tell the king that he became a red priest because his robes hid his wine stains so well uh we find out about thoros's fiery magic later and i wonder what role shifting rivers will end up playing later in the saga perhaps for thoros of mir we're getting ever closer to the uh, red wedding in terms of like reading here um it is too much of a reach to see a little foreshadowing there uh torin had brought his power south after the fall of the two kings on the field of fire said jamie but when he saw aegon's dragons and the size of his host he chose the path of wisdom and bent his frozen knees you know it could be come clear that rob isn't going to follow the path of wisdom so it's i mean epic breakdown of some of the things in the chapter and these are the things too like there's small there's so many small things that we you know, can't pick up on even in this, even in this podcast. And I try to as much as we can, because you have to yeah. hyper analyze things that, like even small stuff about that, like in a Jamie chapter, they're at this end and he were, he thinks of this, this person as a boy, but Brianne thinks of it, 
thinks of this person as a girl because who knows maybe it could be like ari right and that's why it's all pov and you just i mean it's one of the things you can read the book at surface level you can read it like a, a level deep and then you can like you can, there's no limit really to how deep you can go into these chapters and, yeah, and find and find connections yeah and george does a great job of getting you lost in the perspective because he's over here calling brienne winch 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 you know and she's like that's not my name but even in his internal monologue he says the winch goes to the door right it's like man mm -hmm. just that rip you know th that is a little thing and it's good writing but it's also something that could be done even a little less and people would be fine with it but i think it's that the overtness of it that that makes it so immersive right. and uh, we always have to try to think outside of that perspective too when we consider facts uh and scenes in the series uh and i just think that the Aegon and bending of the knee is really cool to hear about because we might see that on the screen one day which is just right. crazy so jimmy as a you obviously read a lot of not just books but specifically fantasy books and i know you've talked about some i've read wheel of time and some other books that you know do the point of view mm -hmm. chapters is yeah. george martin the best point of view writer yeah, I think so. I think he's the best third person perspective writer. Like, I think he utilizes it the best out of any of the fantasy authors that I know. The other author that I, I always rave about when it comes to perspective um, is Robin Hobb. Robin Hobb does have some third person perspective uh, works, but her mainstay is first person. So when I think of perspective writing, I always think of Robin Hobb for first person. I think of George for third person. And especially when we get into books three, four and five, George like goes on another level with it, in my opinion. Right. And he actually got this from Tad Williams, who wrote Memory, Sorrow and Thorn. Tad Williams was really the first big epic fantasy writer not to do third person, but to do chapters per POV. Mm -hmm. And that's something that George really loved from Memories Are in Thorn, and he applied it to his story. So it's really cool to see that because a lot of authors do have third person back in the day. I mean, Tolkien was written in third person as well. It's more of an omniscient storyteller, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the, it wasn't a Frodo chapter. There were sections that were just Frodo and Sam, but, you know, you could get any sort of omniscient information from those. So. Yeah, I think I think third person limited perspective like George is one of the very best, especially, um, you know, when it just comes to the fantasy genre. Right. Because it's also it's also like the, the the thing I love about it. And, you know, we again, we see it here, too. And, and bringing up that point about like, well, this character views it this way and this character views mm -hmm. it this way is you really have to, again, dive deep and keep track of these things. But he's so good at just blending it that you just sink into the character which is yeah. one of the which is like one of the things i love and one of the reasons i started i'm working on that analytical view of it and this is obviously just data for data's purpose of looking at characters who are brought up in specific chapters because even just looking at the number of times certain characters are mentioned like you know we did that patreon and apple premium episode of john and how many john where does john snow appear in chapters and i was blown away that john appeared in like 65 percent of brand chapters i thought it would have been aria i was like yeah. oh because because it makes sense anytime aria picks up needle she could think of john like oh my brother john gave me this and it could be something as small as that but he appears in so many brand chapters and it's like wow that is just insane and that's the analytical side of it too that doesn't even and it could actually be higher to be fair because now i really have to go back and dive into like 
you know, is Bran having a dream where he's like, there's a black figure that could be interpreted yeah. as John, right? So you have, so you have those things too. And, you know, I want to eventually get these for just the POV characters and then maybe some of the other characters like that don't appear in POVs, like, you know, obviously mm -hmm. Rob Stark is one. Um, so you could like really for a reading purpose, like dive through it. But when you begin to look at some of these things, you know, some of these other characters, like who are they mentioned? Like some of these innkeepers, right? It's like, oh, you know, this innkeeper seems to know an awful lot. And, <laughs> you know, I would love I would love to really dive into like, how does how does, you know, when we meet like a similar innkeeper, like some of these unnamed characters, how does this person view them? How does this person view them? Like Tyrion's how Tyrion could view a serving girl, the same serving girl that Cersei like views or, Oh yeah. You know, or um, Sansa views could be entirely different. And that should like, you have to then morph that character. And this is what George does is so good. George creates that character, but he creates that character from all these people's points of view and their perspectives. And so you really, so it's really hard. And that's why he talks about like some of these characters you can't trust because they're all point of view. Yeah. And it's a challenging thing to write even. I mean, think about that. That's a very difficult, we have trouble as human beings getting outside of our own perspective when it comes to just issues, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Can't, we can't look past our nose uh, half the time. So for, I always have so much respect for writers who have, write, write multiple characters that are tangible and realistic and like well thought out and well-rounded in 3D such an impressive thing. Another thing to think about is like, what is our character thinking about and why are they thinking about it? And when we get into Feast for Crows and we're in that read along, I got a lot to say about that. But in this chapter, do you notice something that Jamie says he wonders what Cersei is doing and what Tyrion is doing? He never once thinks about his children. It's true. He doesn't think about Joffrey. He doesn't think about Tommen. He doesn't or his dad. Or his dad. He thinks about Cersei and Tyrion. And yeah. I think that is a pretty good indicator that where Jamie's arc is going to end up and like the focal point of his climb, like the climax of his arc will be between Tyrion and Cersei for sure. Yeah. You know, another, another point you brought up, um, you said that Jamie keeps thinking of Brienne. Spring. Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the super light collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. And as, you know, wench in wench. this chapter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he then it, it gets brought up and everything. And, but then... He himself, um, you know, he himself begins to sort of describe a little bit of the Kingslayer arc. Yeah. And so it's same. So it's kind of interesting too. here. He is viewing Brienne and he's like, yeah, you're a wench, whatever. And sticking that name on it. But he, he, you know, the Kingslayer name, he doesn't like, I mean, we know that he doesn't 
like it because he he genuinely did legitimately do the right thing in killing the mad king <laughs> and yeah. and and you know he doesn't get that any of any of that uh accol- you know any of the accolades for it in in the way he should it's why it's actually one of my favorite it's one of my favorite moments in the show because obviously it's done so well uh in, in the show is when he's in that like in that bath and he's telling Brienne about the the king. It's a really good scene. Such a good thing. Like that's one of those like season three or four just peak Game of Thrones moments. Yeah. So 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 good. And, and again, this is where that's why I love Storm of Swords because it's where you begin to see some of these other characters like Jamie, who you, the entire time, you know, in the show it's different because the show you see him and he comes off as a prick, right? Like his his first interaction, you know, we get those interact. I mean, see episode one, he pushes Bran out the window, and you're like, all right, I'm out on this guy. And then he has, you know, some of those scenes with like Eddard Stark that aren't in the book, but are great. Like when Eddard goes into mm-hmm. the goes into the Red Keep for the first time and he has that scene, he's like, oh, you know, he's like, that's why I did it. I stabbed him in the back because he was a dick to your, you know, because he burned your father. And he's like, oh, is that what you tell yourself or not? Like, so such like just such a good, good scene, you know, that's not in there. You don't really see a lot of Jamie. Yeah. I mean. You know, even some of the battles where Jamie loses that first battle against, you know, Rob Stark. We just hear about we it. We don't even we just hear about it. Yeah. Even the fight, like the fight that happens between Ned and Jamie happens so fast in the books. It's such an right. interesting decision too, like to to really introduce Jamie for front and center big, big time. I mean, we see him in Game of Thrones as well, but like the big time uh center stage where he gets a ton of monologuing is as he's taken prisoner after an epic battle an epic fantasy. It's usually like we would see him in his gleaming armor as he stood in front of his men, men today we take Duskendale, you know, or whatever it might be. Uh, George decides to give us Jamie and, and pay attention in a very sympathetic light. He comes to our, our forefront in chains. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. Like that's a good way to get us out, out the door for a redemption arc. Is it not? <laughs> well, also think of, think about this chapter too. When you, uh, towards the end of this chapter, you know, as I'm looking at it on Kindle here, it's not as long, but sometimes the audiobook it takes a little bit longer. So I think the chapters are bigger. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I'm like, wow, this chapter isn't that big at all. But, you know, but so I'm, but when he is sort of explaining about it, you know, he's thinking, he's thinking about it, right. How, why he killed the mad King and everything and what that scene looked like. I love how he's also I took he's like, you know, I took off my white armor. He's like, nobody seems to remember that. You know, I wore my gold Lannister armor when I killed the king. So, you know, yeah. I did. I did it symbolically. I still did it as, uh, you know, Jamie Lannister, not Jamie the Kingsguard. And that's just another kind of because it's his internal monologue. Everyone else would be like, we you don't care. You killed the king. Right. You know, Brian says- doesn't care. Yeah, and he also says that 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 the cloak uh, basically ruined him, not the other way around. Right. Oof. Yeah, but it's from his perspective. That's the mm-hmm. that's the that's the whole thing here. You know, somewhere where George didn't kind of touch, um, and just to kind of give Jamie some credibility here is, you know, the funny thing is. Jamie could make the argument that, well, the Mad King, because Brienne says to him, you know, he's like, I killed him because he was killing. He was a terrible person. And she's like, yeah, we all know the Mad King was mad, but you swore an oath. Oh, well, what he should have fired back with was, oh, you know, Catelyn 
Tully, you know, Catelyn Stark that you swore an oath to to go get uh, her children. Isn't she doing this because her son rebelled against the crown that he swore an oath to? Very interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you really and, want, if you really want to get technical about it. And, you know, he actually also has another really good point in saying, well, some are saying that you're a Kingslayer as well because you killed Regular. Renly. And then we Renly. see it, that's obviously a big part of her projection. Right. Is yeah. That she doesn't want to be named that. But and, and honestly, we're talking about perspectives. It doesn't matter what their perspectives are. Everyone else sees them as Kingslayers, including Brienne. Brienne is considered a Kingslayer by pretty much 90 percent of the population at this point. So whether it's true or not is it's regard they're tied like they're bonded yeah. together yeah well this is gonna kind of I, yeah and i don't want to shift aside here from this chapter a little bit but last week we talked about davos we did the davos chapter two which is great and we were talking a lot about what's it gonna be like when davos meets melisandra again or stannis again in winds of winter and you know how's that arc gonna play out you know one of the things we still think could happen is you know we're gonna get that brianne stannis angle will we see brianne melisandre because melisandre is really the one who killed renly i mean specifically she was there and it was a shadow that came from melisandre we didn't get, we didn't get that in the show matt he might if be we, something if Stannis like dies in the opening battle. Could we get a Brienne angle, well, which could maybe serve as her redemption, or is right. that, or is it, is it going to be Davos Stannis? Well, we we struggled with because the there's, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this chapter, uh, and you know some of these things we haven't yet to see. Yeah, and and she actually even mentions killing the person who killed Renly, and me and you struggled with the fact that we really felt like Brienne's promise. She had to come face to face with Stannis, even if it, it's like Stannis is dying and Brienne just walks up and sees him die. Like the disappointment of that goal not coming to fruition, like that is absolutely possible. But me and you were struggling with this, saying, "Man, like that means Stannis has to make it through. He has to go get Shireen burn, and all this stuff has to happen." Stop. And we think it's going to go very different than it did in the show. And this is a really good point, though, that you bring up is that the person who really did kill Renly is Melisandre. She did birth the shadow baby. So maybe Stannis is dead by the time she gets there, but Melisandre is still alive. And then she learns. And then what if Brienne is the one? I don't know. And, and, and by the time Brienne, maybe let's just say for funsies, uh, Brienne ends up killing Melisandre or whatever maybe we won't be so joyful at that and happy to see that goal come to fruition because of the fact that George has said Melisandre is the most misunderstood character in the series. So it's like, right. man, wouldn't that be a 180 if somehow Brienne was not the bad guy, but like on the wrong side of redemption? Like, mm, right. I don't I could, know. I could it's crazy. Like I could also see a scenario in which what if, because remember, Brand's in a diff different spot than where she is in the show. Because in the show, it's like Brienne meets Sansa, you know, like it's because Sansa and Theon are escaping, and that's not obviously happening because it's not the real Sansa and the and Arya beating him. Yeah, it's you know, it's a yeah. whole big difference. But <clears throat> one character that's still out there that we know is where actually where her arc is with right now is she's supposed to be going to see Lady Stoneheart. Oh, she's she's on the she's on the gallop. Right? She's about yeah. to, yeah, she, we think she's about to be hung and murdered. Right. So 
is she now going to potentially look at the Lord? Because I think obviously she's going to make it out of there and she's going to be fine. But like her relationship with the Lord of Light might be different. And she might be like, hey, we can't resurrect people. If she ends up somehow going to the wall when they're going to try and resurrect John. I mean, there's a huge angle you could go with there. I mean, there's a really good chance that Lady Stone. Jamie in theory, Jamie in theory could end up going to the wall with her. Well, I definitely think Jamie's going to probably end up face to face um with lady stoneheart i think that that's definitely going to happen i also think that brienne with that last word that she's uttering at the end of feast for crows right when she's about to be hung i think it's feast for crows um i think that maybe she does get sent because remember people think Arya stark is in winterfell right so who's to say brienne doesn't go on a mission up to winterfell yeah because the real question is how is because there's a lot of obviously it's all the moving pieces. And this is the fun part about the, about, you know, about the whole deal when we dive into all these characters and we can sort of begin to project where they're at and how it's going to go in the books. You know, brands kind of in a pickle because I <laughs> like there's not like there's there's not really like like Sansa can't get over there to sort of like have Lady Stoneheart see her that she's alive and get her out of there. And like Arya is still a ways away. Same kind of thing so the problem again with the problem with some of these some of these angles is it feels like and maybe it's just because when they have two books left that like does lady stoneheart's end have to come with something to do with like aria sansa brand like any of her kids could it come from somebody else would that be satisfying because if we like eliminate Lady Stoneheart, then okay, then I see like angles for Brienne to go. Yeah, she you know, could kill her, and that could be like an oath breaking kind of thing. Or she'd be like, Oh, I didn't swear to you, Lady Stoneheart. I swore to Catelyn Stark. I don't know. And like, this, <laughs> yeah. I, that's why Lady Stoneheart is one of the more fun things to talk about overall because we have zero guidance from the show on this. Yeah, there is no stand in for her. There's nothing. It was completely dropped. I don't know what this looks like. A lot of people talked about the Red Wedding 2.0 happening at River Run with the Frey wedding that's going to happen. That people mm -hmm. have talked about a Frey civil war and that Stoneheart's at the center of that and basically exterminates House Frey, which I think is the coolest thing ever. I would love to see all of the Freys dead. <laughs> uh, I'm totally in on that. There's a large oh, Aria. Aria does under... in the show. Well, yes, that yeah, that's true. But I think it's supposed to be like some sort of civil war that is that it basically breaks out. I, I saw uh, it might have been Preston. Jacobs. There's a lot of there's theories. Yeah, there's tons. There's tons of them. But with Lady Stoneheart, I do feel like this nudge that she ends up in Winterfell. Really? And does she and does she last all the way to the long night? Because the long night's happening. Like we know that for a fact. Like the battle with the others has to happen. Oh yeah. That's that's yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. See her arc. I just, I don't know. Her arc is her arc is another one of these, like so many, but that's the thing. And there's some characters which are, you know, whatever you want to call it, they're sticks in the cogs. It's cut, you know, you can't move mm -hmm. any of these other things until some of these log jams, you know, or whatever are, are broken up. <laughs> Cause it's just, it's, it's too like, like, again, like to me, the I, and we've talked about this before the Maurice not I don't think it's really that big of a deal 
it seems pretty easy to figure out from a writing perspective how to get out of that. George just mentioned it was his biggest challenge like so many years ago, but like who's right. to say he hasn't solved it? Now, what I will say is it is feel like every time he's writing it, if he's not writing a Lannister chapter, he's writing like Barristan. So right. we're going to get a lot of Marine and wins a winner. Well, he, he did say, remember, remember a few months ago, he did say in an autoblog update that he got past Cersei chapters that were giving him a hard time. And you and I did a big breakdown about that. We're like, why mm -hmm. would Cersei chapters be giving him a hard time? Like, what are you trying to tell us, George? <laughs> well, the faith is out there, too. And that is kind of a, you know, that's a, how do I solve this? What it was like, what route do I ultimately? And where does Helen Reed play in all go? this? that's true but to me the whole big deal is to me the whole the biggest deal is stannis the whole to me he's the he's the he's because once you move his thing i think it opens up everybody like, i think i mean i mean everybody like like i i think that when george said that since he's been writing and this is post season eight this is like two years later right whenever he's starting to get he's, he's saying i'm noticing that i'm changing a lot of stuff and it's like okay so like even more changes that we already knew from the show that now maybe even the five points that he gave David Danner up, whatever I and my prediction is that one of the characters that has changed the most for the plot has been Stannis. I uh, imagine you know, that Stannis has some of the biggest changes. You no, know, he like he has never said that he's been writing Stannis. Well, he never writes a Stannis POV, though. So he wouldn't mention him by name, right? You think, we, yeah, but do you think we wouldn't see that battle? I mean, it could be, well, he said we're not supposed to get any new POVs, but what's to say we don't get like a, you know, the guard at the left, you know, like one of those, like, yeah, you know, yeah. those weird name chapters we start getting, you know, the area Hota. Right. I'm a big area Hota fan. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up to see. Yeah, Cersei chapters, as he said, which were giving him troubles. Yeah, he says Cersei POVs are often frustrating. Oh, that's somebody saying he just doesn't like Cersei. Um, but George, <laughs> did, uh, like, there was there. I'm trying just you know, I can try to find it because George did specifically say there was a block with Cersei chapters, but he also said he was writing Jamie. And the big deal was he remember he didn't say he was writing Brienne, and we were like, whoa, what's going on there? Because is there is Jamie a chance that Brienne with? might. Maybe he's with Brienne, or maybe Brienne is sent off by Lodi. Maybe how about this? What if Brienne, Brienne makes it? What if Brienne is not in Winds of Winter? That could what be, and that that could be interesting. Like she's still alive, but she's not there because in this chapter, Jamie uh, Brienne does say that like being knighted would be like the greatest honor. Yeah. Which in the show, I do think we will get. I do think that there are these two arc will meet back up and we will, whether it's at the big battle before the night or whatever, but I do believe that Brienne of Tarth will be knighted by Jamie. Yeah. And I also have the, because that's one of the coolest, that's one of the coolest scenes in the, in the season eight of, you know, of all that's in there. That's by far one of the best. I have the unpopular opinion that I think Jamie doing a circular arc is probably likely um, like maybe not exactly what we got in the show. Uh, definitely not with Euron, but I mean, him going back to Cersei, I think he lands on her doorstep. Still. Oh, probably. I think so. Um, I don't think that his death will be like what it was. In the show. No, no. Their their de deaths, honestly, were might have been the worst death. Cersei's death, in all honesty, might be it, Cersei and, you know, Jamie's there, too. It might be the worst death in the whole show. 
I don't even want to. Is it? Do you th- well, I mean, Littlefinger no. is up there too. At least Littlefinger, like just because of that's, who he was, it was like that's eh. a good. That's a good. That's a good video. Top ten worst deaths in Game of Thrones, like as in as in they, you know, from a book reader's perspective. Or even just a show a, sh- a show watcher's perspective too, because some of them were just completely unsatisfying, especially a lot towards the end. Yeah, though Jorah and Theon's were amazing, in my opinion. Oh, Theon's is like epic, and that's I the cried. one. Theon's is <laughs> Theon's is the one where I talk about point of view, and you know if that scene is is how, if you do that exact same scene and it's done in the books, is that from Bran's perspective or is that from Theon's perspective? That whole scene, Theon. I would do it from Theon, and I would have Theon like roll over and he sees the Night King walking towards Bran, or you, it's going to be Euron, or however you do it, but that would be a freaking epic. Yeah, Theon's one of my favorite. He's actually one of the people in the show that was taking care of. Like, he, that's an arc they didn't ruin, in my opinion. Again, I, his I arc know. was great. Yeah, I thought him. Well, and I mean, Doris. it was it was a lot, but it was yeah, it was a lot. It was, yeah. you, it was actually I, worse I, in the show yeah, than the book. Yeah. When I say great, uh, <laughs> I mean you, you, you know what I mean. Like it was right. So, um, bouncing back to this Jamie chapter, did you yeah. catch that Jamie dreams of the final battle? With the White Walkers. Oh, where's that at? In his dreams, the dead came burning, gowned in swirling green flames. Jamie danced around them with a golden sword, but for everyone he struck down, two more arose to take his place. Yeah. People have speculated this is foreshadowing for the the long night. Uh, People have also talked about the golden sword and what that could uh, represent, but a lot of people think the swirling green flames are the wildfire caches. And if that is the case, that would mean that the long night gets all the way to King's Landing. I do think it is going to get all the way to King's Landing. I hope so. And I hope. Or the, the Trident or something. I mean, I think one of the reasons why they didn't have the long night get to all the way down to uh, King's Landing in the show is simply because of budget and difficulty yeah. of production. They shot the long night for like a month and a half. Or was it three months or something? It was madness. Yeah. They could have never done that twice, right? And then splitting the battle makes it feel less epic. They wanted the big like Hollywood battle. Uh, I think the long night comes all the way to King's Landing, dude. I agree. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think I think I'm, I'm with you too. budget. How do you do it? Also, yes. it's some of it is filming it like yes. it's yeah. easier to film at Winterfell when you're filming in giant open yes. fields. Yes. Then when you're trying to film in. Uh, God, how am I blanking on uh, Croatia? Yeah, and, and Dan and Dave had already you planned know. out the Daenerys ending. They said back, all the way back in like season four or five, which wasn't George's thing, right? So they were thinking of that, all that. I guess what I'm saying is, is I, I do think that this isn't like a reach. I think this is foreshadowing for the long night. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I can see I can see that. Do you think two took its place? Yeah, you know, there's there's another there's a lot of there's a lot of internal monologue in this too, uh, like when he's thinking, you know, what's so I like this too. The the hearth was cold, but Jamie picked up the chair nearest the ashes and stretched out his long legs under the table. The clink of his chains accompanied him every mo- movement. Uh, an irritating sound. Before this is done, I'll wrap these chains around the wench's throat and see how she likes them. Now it's interesting there one is the clink of the chains accompanied his every movement. And he's thinking about how irritating that sound is. He hasn't lost his hand yet, but we know he's going to, and he's going to get this gold hand. 
Before this is done, I'll wrap these chains around the wench's throat and see how she likes them. Well, we know Tyrion does that to Oh Shay. my god. <laughs> later, you know, like later in the thing. And, you know, a lot of people think that could be Valencar because a lot of people think that it, the Valencar is going to, is going it's going to be Jamie choking Cersei perhaps with his gold hand. I guess, I don't, you know, or whatever. Um it's going to be how Cersei dies. Wow, though that 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 the chains around the wench's neck is big. That feels yeah, like that, that feels like George R. R. Martin like little subtle twinge, right? Um, there's also a line in here, and I'm trying to find it. Uh, basically, the guy says, "I see a like a lady, uh, a an armed one armed man. Mm-hmm. I see one armed man, a a lady yes. and a prisoner." And I just thought of the one arm, like one arms, one hand. Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. More more being Jamie. This is actually Cleos in this scenario. But later on, it's kind of Jamie because he becomes a one handed, not one arm technically. But I guess you would call him a one arm swordsman. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that order, like even when you read it, you're like, wait, there's a one armed guy in this party. Like you kind of read it like at least I did. And I even have read the books like this is this is like, I think my eighth time reading this book. (laughs) And I'm like. Why did he say it like that? And then I look back, I'm like, oh my God. A one-armed man, a a lady, and a prisoner. But really the one-armed man. Well, look look at look at this. <clears throat> Brian gave the so there's there's two here. One. Uh, so this you center down a little bit, you go down just a little bit. This is it's like basically a lot the way this chapter is structured is people are talking and then Jamie is kind of thinking about something in his internal monologue. Um, you know, they're talking the their host. Right. First of all, this guy is way more intelligent as a host than, <laughs> you know, like he, he should he should be. Yeah. Um, he, whether he's just there for info dump or he's this, you know, secret agent. Right. You know, last I heard King Stannis was outside the city walls. They say he has 100,000 men and a magic sword. Jamie's hand wrapped around the chain that bound his wrists wrists and he twisted it taut, wishing for strength to snap it in two. Then I again, so there's wrist strength coming back mm-hmm. um then i'd show stannis where to sheath his magic sword right which is you know we talked later about the potential dream of the long night jamie is one of those candidates that's right up there to be azora high a lot of people think he's going to be especially because he is the king slayer he could slay again we haven't met a night king in the books yet but right. i do i still do believe we will get one a lot of people thought he was going to be the one to do it in the show yeah that that would be like the whole that would be like such a fitting arc him to be the one to kill the Night King. I thought for a long time that that was going to that was potentially going to be Jamie's arc is uh, for a long time in the show. I thought that Azora High, you know, again, could be different than the Princess Promise and all these other things was going to be. I was like, I would love for it to be like the Hound because of the Hound's whole deal is he's like scared of fire. And then he like gets, I, I would just, I've always, I've always loved, and I still love it in the books, the idea that it's not just Jon Snow. Yeah. Right. That, that is, that it's, that it's like not some random character, but somebody other than like John or Daenerys. Yeah. You know, like even, like even Davos, I would love for it to be this like per, like this other, just this other person. I, if I was going to pick a wild card, Davos, I'd pick yeah. Davos. Yeah, ultra wild card, but I think, and I would know, love it. Well, Jamie, I you know Jamie trains with his other with a sword hand. That's mm-hmm. his whole deal. Is he's like the best fighter 
and in the in this and you could still you could still get on that route and he could he could be the one to do it what about this golden sword deal in this dream right could a golden and, sword not be a golden flame maybe am i reaching uh no no not at all LA? no you know you're not reaching at all gold i mean it's, yeah it's i mean why would it be gold i mean i know house lannister red and gold but like why right. not a red and gold sword or like no, why not talk no. about red in there no go and gold, impl- gold, sword. gold implies shine it implies yes. all sorts of yeah yeah so you have that then you go down just a little bit further again um yeah i see a one-armed man traveling with a woman and a prisoner in chains brian brianne gave the cook a dark look the wench does hate being reminded that she's a wench jamie reflected twisting at the chains again the links were cold and hard against his flesh the iron implacable the manacles had chafed his wrists raw so there's definitely a lot of like god these things suck hands itching yeah in this chapter and then he's like, please take these off. He's like, oh, I'll take it off. And then he takes his hand. Oh, man. So good. You can see it. You can see it building. Yeah, there's definitely like the the George. Like that's the thing. He hides stuff in here. So you don't think about it. We don't like we think, oh, well, he doesn't lose his even rereading it. We're like, well, George, he doesn't lose his hand until later. But it's all set up because he's gonna. Yeah. Also, I just want to note because I did a quick Google. Uh, it looks like Jamie's sword is actually described as golden multiple times in the series and it's because it's gilded uh gold uh, gold is not actually made of gold so that might have just been him back in his you know steel and sword and so i may have been looking too much into the golden sword i don't know i would never just i would never discredit it yeah i mean we'll see i don't know i would like to think that that and even then that that doesn't mean that the dream isn't of the long night maybe he has his old sword and he's battling white walkers right right good stuff yeah yeah good stuff i'm looking over here i think we've i uh, think we basically got most of it here so mm-hmm. um yeah in his dreams the dead came burning uh, gnawing as you said and swirling green flames jamie danced around them with a gold sword but for everyone he struck down two more rows in his place brianne wo- woke him with a boot in the ribs the world was still black and it had begun to rain. They broke their feast on oat cakes, salt fish, and some blackberries that Sir Cleos had found. And they were back in the saddle before the sun came up. Um, Jamie, could you help me out uh, with that real quick? So Jamie has a dream. Just real quick here. Jamie has a dream in which he's potentially fighting you know, White Walkers and others. And then what time does he wake up? Well, I believe he woke up right at dawn. Right. Yeah. So right. Right. You know, just before just before the sun comes up. Yeah. That would be described as dawn. I think so. Just saying. So, you know, like, again, so and Amy another, is Arthur Dane confirmed. Pretty, yeah. Pretty, pretty much, man. Pretty <laughs> much. Uh, so, so, so much fun. So, yeah. All right. Well, anything else? Anything else we want to talk about? Hit hit, hit today before we. Nah, man. I'm loving life and feeling really optimistic about the series. And and at the very worst, we're in my favorite book of all time. So life is it's good. So, it's yeah, it's 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 so good. So, all right, guys. Well, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. Our next episode, we will be in a Storm of Swords, Tyrion two. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us or even at btkcast@gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. We will see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.